This week's episode of Screen Talk is brought to you by A24, presenting the movie Room. Awards eligible in all categories, including Best Picture. Currently nominated for three Golden Globe Awards, two SAG Awards, three Independent Spirit Awards, and four Broadcast Film Critics Awards, Room is now playing in select theater. Deputy Editor and Chief Film Critic, joined as always by Ann Thompson from Thompson in Hollywood, and we have so many movies to discuss this week because it's the big holiday movie weekend. Christmas is right around the corner, and we've been anticipating this for weeks. There's Hateful Eight, there's Joy, there's The Revenant. What to make of this crowded marketplace when you already have Star Wars, plus other kinds of things that you might want to check out. And where do you begin? Ann Thompson, where do you begin with this busy holiday weekend? Well, there's an embarrassment of riches, but what I really want people to do is to go to the theaters, you know? I mean, Hateful Eight in 70 millimeter, gorgeous. You've never seen anything like it. Whatever you think of the movie, it looks fabulous. And, um, and you know, good going... Too. And and no, everything. There's Ennio Morricone. And then if you go to The Revenant, which was another amazingly gorgeous, incredibly crafted movie, no matter how hard it was for the people who made it, the end results are fabulous. And you end up, you know, looking at Chivo, Lubezki, and this amazing Alexa camera that has never been used before that's up close. You know what I figured out? Did we talk about this? That That the aesthetic... The cinematic aesthetic of the Revenant is similar to Tangerine. In other words, you have the the close-up camera, the digital camera that's right on top of Leo as he's riding away from those also uh, shot in Native natural, Americans and shot in natural and shot light. In natural. They're each they're very they're, there's a lot. I find it fascinating to think about you know some of the ways that so many of the movies that are opening relate you know to one another. Either they're filmmakers who are pushing the edges of 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 what's been done in film in order to wow us in some way, which you could argue both Tarantino and and um, Iñárritu uh, have done, um, or they're just pushing the technology to a new place. Wouldn't you agree? Well, one of the things that I really liked about last weekend with Star Wars opening and everybody getting really excited about that was that it sort of consolidated what people get excited about in the movies when they go to the theater even if it wasn't, you know, necessarily the best movie of the year, it was. It was. There, there's so much about kind of the visual experience that only a big screen and a certain kind of vision can give you. I want to go back and see Star Wars with a real audience because I think you're absolutely right, and I think that part of it it's not it's not just seeing it. I saw it at a big theater with lots of people at the premiere at the world premiere. She said gleefully, but um, I would still like to see it with real fans because that is what that's all about, and it's a very satisfying, enjoyable experience. Even if I didn't put it on my ten best, right? But opening as sort of a very much extreme counter-programming last weekend with Son of Saul, both of our favorite movies of the year. Another kind of experience that I think on some level is, is tapping into some kind of an immediate appeal, even if it's hard to draw a connection between those two experiences. That there's Immediate something... appeal is, isn't the word I would use for Son of Saul. Well, it's so, I would say it's very visceral. something like, yes, I would say something like, 
for anyone who wants, it's, I would compare it to Inner It Too and Tarantino in the sense that any self-respecting cinephile who wants to experience something in the cinema that they've never experienced before should see Son of Saul. Appealing isn't the word. It's it's about being immersed in in a horrifying uh, reality that only cinema can give you. I agree with that to some extent, but I also felt like maybe those kinds of expectations or those kinds of reactions are only a gateway to to the other kinds of experiences that this movie is willing to offer up, which is why I found it to be more of a thriller almost, more more dramatically involving than that that sort of gravitas might suggest. Though Yes, because you're caught up in his mission. He's right. on a mission the and there's a mist and there's a mystery to it as well you know right. who is Saul who is this kid and why is he so determined and you figure it out as you go along and you and because you're following him very closely very very blinkered in a very blinkered way um you get to to have an entirely different tour if you like <laughs> of Auschwitz right than well, but you've the, ever had but the the speculative nature is is such an intrinsic element to great storytelling we were seeing it in all of these movies that we're talking about obviously all the fan theories circulating about star wars and the different story elements but if you look at hateful eight here's another great example where you see that movie once and you figure out different kinds of motivations towards the end with all these different characters in cabin you could technically go back and see a different kind of movie once you understand those things and i like this idea of constructing stories in which the more you watch it or the more the more you stick with it, the more this world opens itself up so that you have to go back and think it through in more detail. And I want to uh, see Hateful Eight again as well in the new shorter multiplex um, version, which what is, is it 20, like? Oh, I was going to say five 23 minutes. Twenty-three minutes. No, it's twenty-three minutes uh, shorter. Still close um, to three hours. Because you have four minutes. I, I actually spoke to Tarantino yesterday. He had his star on the Hall, Hollywood Walk of Fame, and I, I nailed him down. You know, so there's four minutes of overture, twelve minutes of intermission. So. And then, yeah. Anyway, we we uh, we went over the so, so he 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 previewed the small the multiplex version in Long Beach, and he said, "What genre is this movie?" And they all came up with mystery. Yeah, and I think got, that's true. It makes it it's like an Agatha Christie type of story, almost like a yeah. Who Done It, Who Poisoned. That's really the what it is. Yeah. No, it's not really there's gore but he says of course there's western and action and and a little bit of horror a little bit of gore but but finally i would say mostly it's a mystery right but it's also more than anything else a quentin tarantino movie i mean what what people are going to turn out for is a certain kind of expectation that no other filmmaker can stimulate almost the same way that people turn out for a star wars movie i mean it's it's a universe of sorts that is so uncompromising in terms of the way the language unfolds, the, the certain kinds of personality types, and also just the, kind, the, the way that he plays with history, I think, is, is just so much fun. It is, and but I have to say, of all his films, this is the first time he's sort of gotten away with who he is all these years, and this is the first time that I'm seeing a slight shift, a slight backlash. Well, it's more sadistic in certain ways, and it's more, I think, cynical. It's also what is it all about kind of thing. You sure. Know, what, what do you get at the end? 
What do you wind up with? What do you learn? You know? Well, there, there's no way around the, the issues pertaining to, to race and American identity that are embedded in the character types that populate this movie most extreme in the most extreme fashion with Samuel L. Jackson's character, who, who I think uh, is, is going to be somebody worth pontificating about. You could The think pieces write themselves. In some ways, it's almost like the character was written to stimulate those kinds of think pieces. Absolutely, and I think there's a lot to be said for for that conversation. It, it's it's the... I think what he's doing is he's, he's throwing you in with these characters and throwing them at each other and setting up all of these uh, dynamics and then playing it out in the last act. And that's one of the reasons I want to see the... Um, the multiplex version, because I believe I, I, I bet it plays even better Whoa, without without the all that other uh, roadshow stuff. And he took he took out some of the minutes, some of the roadshow minutes that were added on, like six minutes added on, seven yeah, minutes. I, w- I would like to know what the differences are. I mean, I, I imagine it's still a movie that has a certain kind of excess in its DNA, just based on the way that that story is structured. I mean, come on, the first hour is in a stagecoach. The next two are in a cabin. And uh, all kinds of wacky stuff happens, including a random use of voiceover narration that crops up. Which I object to, which I think doesn't work, which is Tarantino's own voice. Right. So there, and then, there, and then there's a flashback in the last act, also, which I also have issues with. Yeah. So, so because he's violating the, the the purity of the theatrical experience that he created, and and he admits that he wants this to be a play. He, on some level, he wrote it as a play. He never has written any other movie this way before. Right. So it, so this movie comes out. It's a, it's a. It, it, well, it's, it's it, by the time people listen to this, it already will be out. So it's getting a little bit ahead of the holidays. I think one of the things that's worth noting about something like The Hateful Eight is that there's so much movie there. And if you're going to plop down money and go out with your family. You get your friends, money's worth. Yeah. Right. Well, it's not a family entertainment, exactly. Depends on the family, but yeah, basically. Older I mean, children. <laughs> yes, exactly. R-rated. It's It's R-rated. It, and and also it's it's asking a lot of of certain types of sensibilities. But what what else would you go to? It would be Star Wars. By the Wars. way, I want to say something. I was just looking it up. It's it's eighty two on Metacritic, which is very high. That's extremely high. That would be in the same level as his other films, I would think. But I bet it's lower by the time all the critics weigh in. Also, tomorrow. remember with something like Metacritic, that's an arbitrary number that's the result of how Metacritic looks at reviews and assigns numbers to reviews. And there's only 16 critics so far. But also what's fascinating about Tarantino and, and, and critics is is that uh, there's I'm all... going over to tomatoes. I want to see what they say. <laughs> what, Go ahead. What, the, the tomato meter... It's... If this one's higher. This one's 87. Wow. I, because I think critics have a, a hard time putting down Tarantino, speaking as one myself. I mean, even though the last few movies I've, I've had issues with, there's always something to admire about the singularity of vision, about the love of movies, about the energy and the attitude 
there, there's an eagerness to please and a certain vanity to it that's that's sort of a, a meta thriller. I agree with in a that. Way. That's very well said, Eric. Well, he gets away with so much, and I you're watching know. these movies, and it's like, wow, can anybody else do this today? I mean, in a, in a world where Star Wars is back, and and when you're a new filmmaker, the the best thing to do is is supposedly to to find the best paying gig or go to TV. Somebody like Tarantino has made eight movies and is one of the biggest brands in the filmmaking world but he's pure and he's and he's admired for that very much admired by everyone for you know not capitulating and not you know listening to other voices he's only listening to his own voice and there's something to be said for that but there may be you know maybe there were there was room for a couple of other voices in this case and i humble op <laughs> i think i think you do get you know kind of caught in your own bubble sometimes i'm just looking i'm on rotten tomato so joy is 61 percent it's actually not down there with concussion. That's pretty bad. Is it for bad? that when for David it, O. Russell? For David O. Russell, but sixty. And once you're up to seventy, people say you're doing okay, right? That's how the logic works these exactly. days. Exactly. So the Big Short, which I saw for the second time, because. This is the late-breaking movie with momentum in the Oscar race. It's, it's a phenomenon that I have observed many times, and I recognize that that's what's going on, and Paramount's pushing it really hard. And I, I keep sort of coming up short on, you know, and I played it for my family, so we all watched it together, Nora and David and I. And, and what, you know, it just doesn't look or feel like an Oscar movie, and yet I bet it's going to be an enormous uh, hit and it's it opens uh, tomorrow. Yeah, I, I mean, I keep hearing it's from at eighty five. We got into this last week. I mean, there there are certainly plenty of people who are not super into this movie, but it it plays as a comedy about a bigger issue, which we don't see very often, and it's something that is dealing with an issue in recent memory, the housing crisis, and so in in that sense, it's almost like there's been enough time since that's happened where we can deal with it this way sort of but what i got way. from yeah exactly and what i got and i think I, i'm more impressed even more impressed with christian bale uh of all of them they're all good but he and 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 steve carell but but the what i got from my family is that they were really intent you know they were paying very close attention and they were learning a lot about something that they did not know about and that may be the the, the factor that sort do you of think makes that a difference. They, do you think they really learned something, or did they just feel like they were learning something because Selena Gomez was telling them about it? No, um, I think I think because they kept asking me questions. I had already seen it, so Nora kept asking me questions. You know, what about that? You know, so I, I and I would say they're about to explain that or something. You know, uh, it 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 that's good. That's a good thing. You know, I still think it's a sort of a hideous looking movie, but but, you know, whatever. Um, and then I watched uh, I watched Jennifer Lawrence for the entire hour on Charlie Rose. And I thought Charlie Rose was actually very brave. It's probably more to exciting to watch than Joy, right? No, I like Joy better than that. I do. I do. I think I think she carries it. I think it's incredibly entertaining. It's just it, it's as we said, it's it's David O. Russell competing with himself at this point. I thought that the problem with Joy was that there just wasn't enough movie there. You get individual scenes where you realize who, what you're watching. I mean, he just writes really swift dialogue. It can be very fun and, and the the premise is intriguing in certain ways but it just kind of fizzles i mean i just wasn't wasn't with it all the way to the end and it, and it felt 
like the ending was abrupt. He didn't give us exactly what we want. What I think happened here, perhaps he needed more time in the editing room or something. I think he's got this, um, I think he walks a tightrope where he's trying to push the movie into some greater, fabulous, you know, idiosyncratic yet entertaining place. And in this case, he pushed it and didn't get there. He didn't find it. He didn't get the magic structure that he needed and so at the end we're left sort of dissatisfied that's that's the problem well the the idiosyncratic device in the movie and, and the only one that i thought had maybe some potential was the use of these soap operas which end up informing the character's life or, or her dream life of sorts or she gets she has nightmares about them sometimes and that that was the only time where i saw a filmmaker actually reaching to do something kind of beyond just writing some strong lines and, and some funny scenes. And, you know, the, the character is inherently interesting because of the, the, the backdrop of the TV industry of the early 90s and, and the way in which that kind of informs the, the success that she's chasing after. So that there is something embedded in the It's fun to material. go back to yeah. QVC, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. It's, 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 I, I think that that's worth looking at, but it just doesn't feel like... I mean, you compare it to... Also, it's not a romantic comedy, thank you very much. So it's no. not about that. It's no. about this woman realizing her potential, and despite the family that's trying to drag her down, right. you know, having the strength and the and the conviction to sort of push herself where she wants to go. I I I, I think there's a lot to be said for this movie, actually. Even if I'm not raving about it or putting it on my ten best, or you know, it, I think it's almost unfortunate that it has to be in any kind of awards conversation, except for, of course, Lawrence. She'll be there. Well, she she's a, she's a great actress, and she does what she can with the material. Sometimes it's just a, a look or a put down or or whatever. I mean, she's just got a very individualistic screen presence. But a movie. It was like interesting this, listening to her talk about her specific relationship with David O. Russell. She gives him a lot of credit for pulling these performances out of her that she didn't but do know we she think could that's, give. Is that real or is that just? I think so. I think it is. I always, I always question that sort of thing. I mean, there's, there's just so much kind of, uh, you know, handshake deal of sorts about how you talk about the filmmaker and, and the collaboration and so forth. I mean, she just seems she like- seems to believe it. I mean, Jennifer isn't the kind of person. Listen to me talking, Jennifer. Um, Jennifer Lawrence isn't the kind of person that goes. She doesn't blow a lot of smoke. She's trying to. She, she's attempting to be authentic. So is that, is she enough for people to go see this movie? Cause it seems to me like it's just going to get steamrolled by the, the more kind of extreme competition, whether it's Tarantino. It's or... the, uh, it's the movie for women. I mean, that and sisters, which didn't get very good reviews. So I think, I think people, I think women are going to flock to this. I think a lot of people will go. I think it'll play. I think it'll do well. Doesn't the big short, well, it doesn't have a lot of women roles, but doesn't, I mean, that's the... It sure doesn't. Yeah. But it it does seem like that one would be, have an easier time kind of standing out in the crowd than something like Joy, just because... Doesn't Joy seem different than other films to you? It's not like every other film. I mean, I I, I don't know. I I just, I see that that one sheet with, with Jennifer Lawrence and it seems like 
it's just her that they're selling for this movie and there's no other kind of hook and maybe that's enough but well isn't that how you sell a tom cruise movie isn't that how you sell a harrison people... ford movie you you sell the star that's what you do I that's mean... the asset that's what the star is it's a movie star it seems like this year we're seeing more and more kind of brands being sold, right? I mean, Star Creed, Wars is a brand. Star Wars. Creed is a brand. Although I give Coogler credit for coming up with an original idea that no one else had come up with. I mean, that that franchise was definitely dead. It had, the door was closed, and of course MGM had every reason to want to revive it again when it was presented when he presented it to them. Stallone thought the door was closed. And he finally came around. So they did it. And it's an organic, legitimate, authentic version of, 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 of an extension of that of that story. I love it. I and love Creed. And that should probably hold over through the holidays, right? That'll do. It's already done $87 million. It's going to continue Amazing. to do well. Though at the expense, probably, of Ron Howard's In the Heart of the Sea. Which, oh. if, if I were Warner Brothers, I would let that go. It's gone. And, <laughs> and give, give, the, give the theaters to... Uh, to Creed, they could make a lot more money with that movie. Yeah, no, that that was that one came and went pretty quick, I think. Although I I will say, if there is one uh, lure for the that substantial amount of women audiences and and its joy, I, I wish there was some way to shave off some of that and, and send them to Forty Five Years, which uh, is opening this week as well. That's for the art house uh, adult audience, and I hope they see it too. It's wonderful, wonderful movie. And so many people. And that was on my ten best list. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I mean, there's a movie that I would like to see more people paying attention to, just because it works for more audiences than I think a lot of the stuff we're talking about. You know, it's like you you could not be a hateful eight person, and you could be a forty five years person. You could not be a son of Saul person and be a forty five years person. You could not care for the big short. I mean, I'd send people to see the lady in the van too. I think, you know, especially Anglophiles, you know, it's, it's based on a play and it's got this extraordinary performance by Maggie Smith. And I would send people to see youth with this extraordinary performance by Michael Caine, who was on 60 minutes this week and delightfully. So, yeah, that's another one where I, I mean, we, we started talking about that movie back in May. So I'm, I'm really curious to hear what you think about how this movie is standing out at this point. I mean, everybody likes Michael Caine. We know that 82 year old. Not really. I mean, SAG, SAG didn't do it. And, uh, the Golden Globes didn't do it either. So I'm looking, this is a case where I'm looking to the Oscars to come through for Charlotte Ram. Now they both won at the European Film Awards. That tells you something. That's where the uh, <laughs> that's where the support lies for for youth. But the Academy is very European in a way that um, the, you know SAG is not, and and the Academy is more refined in their taste than SAG or the Golden Globes. So we'll see. So there's a couple other question marks now. I mean, Hateful Eight is one where I mean I, I'm thinking back with Django how. That didn't seem like an obvious big Oscar movie to everybody, but it did a lot better than that. I mean, it, it won an Oscar for Terrence. I don't Taylor. think this one is playing as well. I I just it's possible that he could get into for screenplay and that Jennifer Jason Lee could get in for supporting actress. And I don't think he gets director. I don't think he makes it to the top five. And I'm not sure Hateful Eight makes it to the top ten in this particular case. What about Samuel L. Jackson? I thought he was better than he's been in years. In, in I couldn't role. agree more. I couldn't agree more. But the remember the best actor 
category is pretty tight this year, pretty bad. It's well, bad or, or just a competitive field. <laughs> it's Look, actually... I'd, put, I'd put Samuel Jackson in over Eddie Redmayne in a heartbeat. Right. But I mean, everybody, if Eddie Redmayne gets SAG and the Golden Globes, um, we have to assume he's going to get in there. It's the same situation with Brian Cranston for Trumbo, right? I'm not so sure that follows. I mean, mm-hmm. it doesn't follow 100%. I still think that the Academy looks at who like, I think they like Trumbo. Um, but I think it's possible that Trumbo won't get anything. And how about Concussion? That's a movie that you were kind of dismissive of back at when it premiered. I'm still, AFI. I'm still dismissive. Because that, I was just, I just noticed in my massive screener pile that just kind of built up over the last few weeks as, as all these things showed up in my doorstep. That's one I still haven't seen. So I'm trying. I don't I'm on think you need to. I mean, I, I would I would say let that go. <laughs> but is there some audience for this movie? That's I mean, I, I have. No, it could do some know. business. I mean, I think people who love football, who yeah. care about the issue, who love Will Smith. It's a perfectly well made, reasonably um, uh, moderately uh, watchable movie. You know, it, it, it's it, it, I, I'm Peter Landsman is the director. And I think it's 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 a little bit. You know, by the numbers, he's a journalist. You know, he's not a he's not what I would call a a, a vivid filmmaker. But you know, they've been advertising it during football games. So I have you know, sports friends have asked me about it, and they see Will Smith, and and the story is intriguing. It's it's come out more and more. I think just in the the last few months, and, and you know, just the the research that this guy did involving head trauma and so forth is something that people are taking seriously. Well, if you want to talk about it, then you should see it. <laughs> I'm just, all I'm saying is that I'm sensing some kind of interest in this movie that it's not completely it, it, gone. It could, it could be. It could, it, it, it's an agitprop movie. It's a movie that's advocating a position. It's an, it's a movie that's arguing in, in a little bit. I mean, it, in a little, a little bit like the Big Short or or Spotlight, it has an agenda. It's trying to tell us a story that it thinks is important for us to know, and it's more concerned about the point it wants to make than it is in serving uh, a, an audience with with a with a w- with a heartfelt drama. Right. And anyway, those kinds of people will probably just go see Star Wars anyway. So. I mean, you shouldn't say that. There are a lot of people who are going to like to see Will Smith in a football uh, controversy. It's just, it's just, but then it's not in the decide, awards wanna, conversation. That's Will all Smith I'm saying. Football movie or Han Solo? I mean, yeah. <laughs> they've already seen it. They've already seen Star Wars. Well, I, I just keep coming back. That's to about this. repeat business again. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I know the movie made broke all these records and so forth. I, I'm curious to see what sort of legs it has now that it's a real thing in the world and not, you know, just marketing materials that are fanning all kinds of speculation. I mean, now this franchise is off to the races, but the movie's going to be around for a long time. What sort of drop-off are, are we going to It expect? will have a big drop-off, but it's still the holidays. It's still that incredibly intense Christmas week where everybody's out of school and everybody's out of work and, and each day is like a Saturday. That's why the numbers are going to be so big and there will be repeat business. They picked, they, they handled it perfectly. They put it out a week earlier than most Christmas movies when there was no competition at all. And now all these other movies are opening, but it's already been launched and it's going to do really well. The question is whether it does so at the expense of the other movies and doesn't, but some of these are limited 
the revenant and hateful eight are are fairly limited what about point break <laughs> <laughs> the word on that is that it, it's a, i saw some footage of it at CinemaCon. i haven't gone to the movie because i've been told it's it's not very good yeah. um and the word is that it's going to die out there it's nothing to do with the original catherine bigelow keanu reeves yeah. patrick swayze movie it it which was pretty much about surfers and uh, who were robbing uh, banks and stuff. Right. But but this is about real uh, ex- extreme sports. And I saw, I did see some footage, amazing footage of these people flying down a canyon with those um, wings that you can have, you know, and it was pretty stunning. Um, but they have, they have surfing and they have wing gliding or whatever that's called and, and it just other looks things like there was some sort of miscalculation here when you when you look at the overall set of movies that are opening this this coming long weekend that somebody thought that this would be sort of the fun light counter programming to maybe some of the heavier fall season movies or something or maybe they just dumped it here because they had no other place to put it but what it field felt like when i saw the footage and, and talked to the people in in CinemaCon was that the studio thought that this would be compelling enough visual filmmaking, you know, with something people maybe had never seen before on the big screen, you know, big, big extreme sports writ large. And, and that would be something to pull them into the theater. That's what they're always looking for is some, something big, you know, and, and an event. Now they made they 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 hired a, a, a cinematographer guy, you know, it, it, a sports guy. I mean, I don't know that it it again. It may not have been final. I haven't seen it, so I can't say. Um, wait, here, let's look. Let's see. Well, what is the uh, score for? Because that's uh, all that matters. <laughs> all that matters at the end of the day are those damn numbers and, and ratings, and you know whether or not. Oh, they haven't allowed this to be reviewed yet. (laughs) (laughs) They're holding off. No score. (laughs) It's because it's so good that uh, it just it's it's beyond criticism. I mean, I'm I'm sure it's a similar situation with Daddy's Home, the Will Ferrell, Mark Wahlberg movie, which is also opening over the holiday weekend, and will probably pull in some kind of a male-dominated crowd looking for a raucous comedy. Oh, God, you couldn't get, you couldn't pay me to go see that. That's at 38% on I mean, Tomatoes. But, but those sort of <laughs> And things... Alvin and the Chipmunks is at 13%. <laughs> I mean, we're, we're inundated with so many kinds of possibilities where the movie is an afterthought, right? It's just marketing materials in which people plan social outings around and, and then, you know, whether or not the movie's good, some part of our culture doesn't really care. I mean, they they don't they don't want to be entertained in a very active way or or stimulated in, in a big way. They just want something that is mildly amusing. But you have to hold out hope that there is some larger audience that, or some significant audience that wants something that's that's at least going to give them a unique experience. I mean, I would say the two best bets for the holiday weekend are Hateful Eight and The Revenant. Um, right. Even if you're a family with, uh, you know, you know, people who are afraid of violence or whatever, I mean, it's just sort of like maybe take a, take a, a shot with something a little bit more challenging. 
the big short. I thought movie. you were telling them to take a shot of alcohol and <laughs> handle it. Well, it By depends. Forty five years is it ninety eight percent on Rotten Tomatoes? Look, in, in an ideal world, the two best movies you should be seeing over are this long Son weekend. of Saul and Forty Five yeah. Years. So let's end on that note and 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 hope that people will take our advice. If they can't see these movies in places near them, then they'll just have to uh, reenact them at home or something. But. Uh, we wish everybody a happy holiday and uh, you'll hear from us next week. By the way, before you go, yeah. what's your favorite uh, holiday movie, Eric, that you would watch at home on a DVD? Favorite holiday movie, period, like of all time? Yeah, to watch every year. Do you, is there one that you watch every year with your family? Well, it's it's weird. I mean, there, there's no. I have to say, there is no great Hanukkah movie, and that's <laughs> it's unfortunate. I mean, I remember when, when Eight Crazy Nights came out, I was like, well, maybe he'll finally give us something. But it's just, what, I just don't come from that kind of household. I mean, I always loved something with a little kick to it. I love Bad Santa. Um, I've come back to that frequently and, and enjoy the the kind of you worry me. <laughs> But uh, you know, I don't. I don't treat the holiday se- se- season in any kind of sacred terms. I just want to lay low and hang out and catch up on things I haven't seen. So, so David and Nora love Christmas Story. So do I, and uh, which has an edge to it, I would argue. And then the other one we love is Love Actually, which um, yeah. isn't a great movie, by the way. I real I realize this, but somehow, <laughs> somehow we we watch it every year. It's grown on us. Well, I mean, there are different kinds of movies that we associate with other things that aren't the movies themselves. And if, if you have developed some kind of you know sacred relationship to love, actually, <laughs> nobody can take that from you. I wouldn't even start. So uh, have All fun right. with that one. <laughs> happy, happy holidays. Yeah.